Welcome listeners to Squeezing the Orange of Social Science, a podcast co-hosted by myself, comedian Akinoma Bitan and Professor Dan Cable. In each episode, the two of us take on a peer-reviewed and published social science paper. And in this case, the research has been done by Cohen, Garcia, Apfel and Master, and it's titled Reducing the Racial Achievement Gap, a Social Psychological Intervention. And this intervention was a brief in-class writing assessment in which they looked at whether they could significantly improve the grades of african-american students and reduce the racial achievement gap spoiler alert they did and dan and i discuss how they got to this point so as always this is us still during our pilot phase we're going to jump you into the conversation that dan and i had and hopefully you guys can get some gems out of it thank you very much for rocking with us there's not going to be a lot of cutting. When it gets messy, it's just going to be messy. And we're probably not going to have completeness or f- the, the final word on things. We're going to hopefully take our reviewers on a little look at some science. And each episode will unpack and fun pack for them. And this particular episode today, we're going to talk about something um, that in the United States is a really big deal. Um, it starts with racism, um, you know, due to the history of slavery in the U.S. and the way that um, human beings are classified on race so strongly. There is um, a lot of undercurrents that affect how people perform in school, especially kids in particular. Yeah. I think that there's um, an idea that they attack in this study that maybe some of the reasons why African-American kids do worse in school is because there's a stereotype threat. And that's something we're going to fun pack in a little bit. Doesn't sound like a very <laughs> we're going to try to fun, find fun topic. <laughs> try to find something jolly about it. And it's it's always a it's always a difficult when you when you're talking about race. It's always difficult to broach. And I'm hoping between the two of us, we have hopefully some identity. Sorry, not identity. Hopefully, it's definitely some identity. But hopefully, some diversity. And I guess what I mean by that is you're an individual who's grown up in the states. And I'm an individual of color who has grown up in the UK. So yeah. hopefully between yeah. the two of us, yeah. there's enough diversity yeah. and experience there where we can do this some justice yep. while also somehow, somehow fun pumping fun well. into it. <laughs> it's going to be a challenge. <laughs> Maybe instead of orange, this is more of a lemon we're squeezing. squeezing a, yeah, we're, yeah. Def- yeah. we're squeezing the lemon. We're going to try to add in yeah, some sugar, to make some but it might be a bit bitter, <laughs> bittersweet at best. Yeah, and, and the title of it is Reducing the Racial Achievement Gap, a Social Psychological Intervention. And one of the things I in- instantly noted from this as well was that this was a, a study that was trying to do good so it wasn't just a case of let's answer a question or what are we just I guess curious about it was also um, especially because the word intervention there is key so this idea of what can we I guess discover but also change so that there can be positive outcomes as well That's right. uh, and with science it's very much a field of curiosity but not necessarily how do we improve people's lives but how do we have answers to questions that you know that that you know that could explain explain things that's right yeah. that's right to both understand the process of why it's happening and then try to fix the process is powerful science and maybe that's why it wound up in the journal called science <laughs> <laughs> The, the ever imaginative <laughs> names of these journals as well. So I think that we want to fun pack in about 25 minutes. Do we want to set an alarm for that or just kind of, 
I mean, I don't trust myself. Um, I find that uh, when I get a bit of dopamine and interest and curiosity in my system, time kind of goes quickly. Yep, I, I will be playing alarm today. So Good. we're going to go for about 25 minutes, yes. 25 minutes of, uh, of fun packing this, diving into it and seeing what we can, what we can extract from it for you, the listeners, to, to hopefully, I guess, learn from. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Do you want to, is there anything, one of the things that's most fun for me in talking with you about this is not being somebody that is PhD, classically trained in methodology and all this. Is there anything in particular you found crazy or interesting about the study? Anything you wanted to sort of put out there to start with? So, yes. One of the, this definitely took me back to my school days. So it took me back to my school days and I had a bit of a therapeutic moment whilst reading this study as well. And what I mean by that is it took me back to a point where I realized that not only was I different, but everyone is different mm-hmm. as well. And what happened is I grew up in, I grew up in London and I grew up in London in the, in the eighties and nineties where it's, it's, it's more culturally diverse now, mm-hmm. but back then mm-hmm. it was still a rich blend of people from different backgrounds. So growing up as a kid, I didn't see color. And I don't mean that in the cliched way, but I just mean that in a way of as a kid, there's certain things that you're not necessarily exposed not to. Yeah. So you don't really put factor. something um, heavy onto it. And it wasn't until one day I was with one of my best friends at the time and we were walking from the shops and he asked me where I was from which just wasn't often a question you kind of got as a kid, yeah. like, where are you from? Mm-hmm. And I said I was from Nigeria. And he asked where Nigeria was. And I said, in Africa. And he laughed, like, uncontrollably. Mm-hmm. Just mm-hmm. And so just to kind of give it a bit more context, we're probably talking about at the age of eight or nine yep. as well. So yep. this wasn't yep. this wasn't my 25-year-old sure. mate <laughs> who laughed in my face because I was from Nigeria. It's good to clear that up. Yeah, yeah, definitely. This was, we're talking about like eight or nine Uh, years of age. And that was an experience that made me realize that one, I was different, but two, it made me negatively self-conscious of that difference as well. And that's what that laughter did. It made me feel a bit like, wait, why is that funny? And now I can look back and see why as an eight-year-old, he would find that humorous or, or funny because the representation of, of Africa back then was not, it was not, uh, I guess it was not realistic and it was also not favorable as not well. Positive. So we're talking about a lot of TV commercials that right. send two or three pounds and yes. we're talking about, and even at the Flies age Flies crawling on little kids' yeah, face. And, yeah. Yeah. I, I do remember that. And I think, and I'm not sure of this, there's some, some real interesting truths under all of this, but I imagine in the US, it would have been more racist and more appropriate to be racist when you went from eight years old to 18 years old to 28 years old. Yes. I think that um, it is so endemic to how the country was built. That is to say slavery. Yep. And there are so many people that still are not wed to that, but use it as their default or their starting point, that place of racism, that that there is a subordinate race is unfortunately part of the nation's character. Yep. So I would imagine it's even stronger than U.S. And the thing that you just said now that I really resonated with is when a point is made that something about you and your social group is laughable, 
then that's where the threat comes in, what they're calling stereotype threat. Yes. In this paper, especially in the U.S., what they're drawing on is this idea that African-Americans aren't as bright and maybe for many racist people can't learn as well. And that's just a horrible but basic starting place for many Americans and many people in the world as well. And so when an African-American student, you know, seventh, eighth grade is in school, that creates a threat because they know other people think that about them. Yes. They may even worry that that's, quote, true, unquote. Yep. And that worry and that anxiety about how they'll be judged makes them perform worse. Yeah, and I guess even from from the two of us chipping in already, you can see why we're going to struggle to yeah. have fun with uh, this it's tough topic. topic. It's a re- really tough topic. Yep. Um, so yeah, the team the team set out to see how they could um, they they set out to see how they could provide students. And so um, we're, we're, the the grades that they were looking at here was um, seventh the, grade. Yeah. Yep. So so you so you grew up in the state. So at, the, at seventh grade, what age are we talking? I think we're about talking here? thirteen years old. Okay. Yeah. Yep. So so we're talking about kind of like uh, early teens, very right. early teens, right. probably in the the thick of puberty as well mm. and so we're talking about a time where everything is changing identities are forming um solid groups are forming as well so it's a very a very critical point in in any young person's life and so what they set out to do was to see is there an intervention that we can do at the beginning of the school year at the beginning of the academic year that will put these uh, african-american children students in a place where they're going to start thinking about themselves in more positive terms so that they're going to have a a stronger sense of i guess like self-integrity that's right which is the phrasing that they used here and this idea of self-integrity if i could lift from the uh, from the paper is this idea of seeing oneself as good, virtuous, or uh, evacious as well. Am I pronouncing that correctly? Um, I think that that one has uh, to do with oh, effi- efficacious. efficacious. It has to do with whether you feel like you have the power to do things in the world, yes, as opposed to the world does things to you. Yeah, and I got to tell you, um, just taking a step back from that definition, I just love this concept. It goes to whether or not you feel that you're okay as a human. Wow. That's really kind of what it, it goes to like, um, is my self-esteem appropriate that I think I'm doing all right? It doesn't mean I'm great, by the way. When we talk about this, this intervention they did called a self-affirmation, in the United States, anyway, or that almost can be funny. Like, remember that Stuart Smiley guy on Saturday Night Live where he said, like, I'm good enough I'm smart enough, and doggone it, people like me. And in a weird way, that little phrase, which was, I guess, a joke on Saturday Night Live, a lot of people pick that up as like, he's affirming himself there. And it's almost laughable. That's why it's a joke or a skit. Yeah. It doesn't mean that you think you're great, but what it means is I'm as good as the next person, that I'm a valuable that I'm a valuable human. And I think that that's part of what they're trying to increase in this study. And were you surprised or did you kind of get how subtle their self-affirmation was, their actual intervention? So it was subtle to the point where I was, I was, I was trying to do a, a couple of things. I was trying to 
I guess, understand how it made such a big impact. Yep. So they, they reference it reducing the racial achievement gap by 40%. Yep. And I was rereading and rereading what yes. exactly yes. is that so they what's did. The thing? And I, I, like, I really struggled to, because it seemed like what they was, it seemed a bit like Inception. Have you seen the movie Inception? Yes. So it yes. seemed very much yes. like they were very subtly plopped planting an idea inside these students' head. That's about but, right. But giving them the opportunity to plant it themselves. Yeah. So Let's just, talk about that. Yeah. I think one of the most important things for listeners to hear is the facts, and then for us to start unpacking, fun-packing those facts. Yeah. So here's the fact. Very early on in the fall, the fall term, there was a class in which the teacher handed out a manila folder with some instructions. And half the students... Um, by the way, about 120 African-American students and about 120 European-American students. Yeah. Half of them randomly got something that said, think about your top two things that you care about the most and just write about those things. And it might have been like your family. It might have been about a certain topic you're good at in school or an instrument you play or a sport you play. And then write why that's important to you. Yeah. And then half the people said, pick two values that mean the least to you and then write about why they mean the least to you yep. and why they might be valuable to somebody else. Yeah. So what they've done, it's very, very subtle. But for half the people, they've put in a condition where they're reflecting on and writing about what matters to me, what I'm good at, what's yep. unique about me. And the other ones are saying, here's something that doesn't define me, but might define other people. Yes. That's pretty subtle. That is, it's so subtle, especially because they reference this being uh, a double blind um, uh, experiment. experiment as well. So, and this is why I use the movie Inception as an idea, because if you, if you try to give someone like a pep talk, there's, there's something very obvious about it. And that's not to say that it's not helpful, but it's very obvious that you're kind of boosting someone up, you're charging them up. It's like, now go get them. Yep. Whereas what they're yep. doing here is the students are unaware that this is part of an experiment. That's correct. So indirectly and involuntarily, these ideas are now finding a home inside their head That's and so it's right. and it, it and it lynches uh lynches Ooh. maybe not the it's, it's, no uh, <laughs> really interesting kind of like slip freudian slip yeah, there. Oh, yeah, my goodness. yeah very like uh, but um but i'm, I'm even no losing. fun at all really <laughs> <laughs> well let me let me let me add a little bit of fuel to that because what's really interesting is they also are doing this in the context of a real class with a real teacher. Yes. That is to say, it's naturalistic and it's intact. Meaning, as far as those students are concerned, the teacher really wants to know this about me. Yep. They, the kids don't know they're in some kind of a study, and the teachers don't know that what the hypothesis of the study are, much less which kid got which folder. Yes. Completely random. So what this means is, say you are one of these kids, and very early, first couple of days of school... Your teacher says, I want to know this about you. Tell me about who, you know, what you care about and who you are and why that makes you unique. That is part of that system then. Later on in this article, you know, they do find this enormous effect of doing this. Very small intervention, like a 15-minute intervention. I, I, like it was, I was really, I was rereading and rereading yep. and just yep. how, like, just trying to see how it has such an exponential yep. impact yep. from this 
And yeah. I think the timing of it is is wonderful on yeah. their part. Yeah. You know, the beginning of the uh, the semester, the school year, the term, and how it rolls on as well. That's and it. if I guess if I'm going to kind of like get a little carried away, so they 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 chose specific, uh, they chose a specific class in which to 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 take for the experiment to take place. But they also found that it was having an impact across other classes yep. as yep. well so i guess as an example yep. if if you bring a bunch of students and you say okay this is like your english lesson and we just want you to write out a few paragraphs just so that we can kind of like you know for whatever reason yep. we don't really tell yep. you the reason so imagine doing a very small activity they talked about it taking about 15 minutes of the first class yep. very small activity yep. now imagine that same day that same month that same school year what they did in an English class is now having an impact That's in what they're amazing. doing in maths, what they're doing in science, what they're doing in geography. It's it, it, and it was really, stunning. really stunning. To Almost try to supernatural. Wrap my head yes, I think that listeners also need to hear that they replicated the whole study again in a whole new set of students in a whole new school year. It's not as though they did this little thing and found some interesting effect and then just said, that must be true. (laughs) If you can replicate a double-blind experiment in a natural setting like this, the odds of that being not true, the odds of this just being chance are almost zero. You, yeah, they, well, they actually include yeah. they include the stats of yeah. that in, in yeah. the paper as yeah. well. And I think it was around 5,000 to one. in 5,000 yeah. odds of any one study. Yeah. But then replicating that yeah. study, it's almost hard to get your head around. Because if something's not actually happening in the world and you find it in the same exact setting, very carefully controlled two times, it just doesn't happen. So... My researcher brain tells me that this is the the world-class highest bar of a perfect set of studies, a nearly perfect set of studies. And the idea showing that you can get rid of this nasty achievement gap by A, understanding stereotype, and B, putting in a relatively innocuous uh, intervention that makes the... African-American student feel better about themselves and maybe see less racism in the external environment Yep, that did not affect either African-American students in the control condition. They didn't have that bump, nor did it affect any of the European-Americans. It didn't hurt them. It just didn't help them because they weren't experiencing that threat that early in the year, it's a new school threat of, will I perform okay here? Will I be judged for my race? It's really powerful. Yeah, it, it's, it's powerful. And I guess one of the other things that it, it, it took me down in terms of my, my streams of thought and I guess trying to not get political about a study which, is, which definitely has a lot of political implications and and there's just different things that we can witness on that front as well but i guess what i want to say is it it shows me the value of the value of fairness in a sense of you want everyone to have an equal opportunity at success it also shows me the value of versatility at the same time. So in order for everyone to have uh, an equal chance at success, we can't start everyone 
in on the uh, I guess at this, from the same starting mm. blocks mm. It's, you can't start everyone from the same starting blocks and you can't ask them all to run the same race if we ask everyone to run the same race from mm. the same mm. starting blocks some people are going to be more advantaged than yeah. others yeah. just from from just from luck really yeah. it could be right. for so many various reasons right. but some people are just going to have an easier time or be better suited or just find it a lot more comfortable yeah. so this idea that we can look at african-american students and say there's something different that can be done in the classroom to give them more of a advantage and that's not more of an advantage over anyone else that's just more of an advantage in terms of their self-integrity and how they see themselves which then suggests that if we then look at the different groups of people who then attend schools with more detailed analysis and understanding there could be ways in which we can kind of just adjust some of the meters and adjust some of the settings for for children from different backgrounds to then suggest that you could all come to this one place and have an experience that allows all of you to have a good crack at your studies, which then later on leads into your career. And there's ever just like different social environments and settings that we find ourselves in that small adjustments at a young age could have massive like overwhelming effects at a later stage as well so many mm, fun packable pieces that you just (laughs) mentioned there Uh, one of the things that's really interesting about these starting blocks one way to think of it is that due to history there really isn't a fair race to start with and for many many people it creates a self-fulfilling prophecy where society says, you're not going to be as good at this. Yep. So the individual says, oh, I'm not going to be as good at that. And then they become not good at that. And society yep. says, see. <laughs> yep. And what we're looking at in this study and in a series of studies that I want to actually mention to you that are a little bit bigger than just this one, what they are showing is that by throwing almost a circuit breaker in on that self-fulfilling prophecy, you can cut out those negative effects you actually can stop the self-fulfilling prophecy f- from happening by curbing that self-threat, that worry, that anxiety that makes students perform worse when it is expected that they'll perform worse. Yes. One of the things I want to bring up just to kind of let you and the um, listeners hear is this was one study and a very, very important one. But the basic effects that they found have been shown across lots of different stereotype threat settings. So like one, for example, is women that enter STEM, like science, technology and math and so on. Yes. There is a stereotype that women aren't as good at science and maths. And so the stereotype threat is they then do worse on maths, not because their brains don't work as well, but because their brains are stymied by anxiety and fear. Yes. And the same types of interventions work for them, that if you can self-affirm, they do much better on math tests and removing any sort of gap there. They've also shown uh, the same effect happens with what are called first-generation college students, So let's say that you're a Hispanic student. Nobody in your family has ever gone to university before. And let's say that that makes you worried when you show up on the first day. Whereas if you are at Stanford and, you know, your parents went to uni and their parents went to uni, for you it's just a rite of passage, just normal. 
well, they're going to do better because they're at ease and not worried about how I'm being judged. And they showed that the same type of self-affirmation also helped first-generation college students, and they tracked them across the years of uni, and they were actually statistically significantly more likely to finish university and finish their degrees by doing these small 15-minute interventions. So, again, that is... Yeah, imagine 15 minutes at the beginning of a school year around the age of, you know, 12, 13, 14, having an impact on you five, 10 years later is, and I guess it's uh, along the lines of like the the butterfly effect as well, you know, how some one, one incident, one small incident can have such a huge impact later on and I guess on the opposite side of that as well they use a, a terminology here like a downward spiral That's right. as well um, so you can have either a positive let's say a positive butterfly effect yep. in term, in the sense of yep. these 15 minutes and what that is to do what that is is so that it acts as a to counter against the possibility slash likelihood of a downward spiral and that downward spiral what's interesting about stereotypes as well is you don't have to necessarily be the one experiencing the stereotype as well. So what they looked at here was one of the the issues that causes a psychological threat is that, so let's say as a, as a, a young black man, you're now, you open the newspaper and uh, they're talking about, let's say it's uh, gang culture or knife crime. Now, you might not be involved in that in any way whatsoever, but the fact that it's, uh, I guess rehashing or uh, it's implicating your group. Yes, yes, in so a th- weird way. Even though you're not part of the gang, yeah, you are a representative of that race, yes. and therefore are implicated through your social identity. Yes. You Thank know. you very much for helping me out there as yeah. well, because it's like yeah. I was trying to really pick and choose. Yeah. Well, I hope I words. got what you no, were you, trying you, to say. You, you nailed, you nailed exactly what I was trying to say there. And so there's a pressure there where if you are a minority, a pressure there which the majority, the majority are not necessarily subjected to slash might not be able to empathize with yeah. so much, um, especially if people know you as an individual. So if people know me as an individual and they and they say, let's hope they say, Akin's very intelligent, he's very bright, he pays attention, he's creative, that's going to make me feel great about myself. Right. However, what could happen at the same time is there could be another black kid in my class who's maybe disruptive, uh, a bit of a bully, um, is, is just kind of having a negative mm-hmm. impact and maybe not mm-hmm. as, as sharp. Now, the way that they talk about him if I if I'm exposed mm-hmm. to that, that's going to make mm-hmm. me feel a way about myself mm-hmm. as well. Mm-hmm. And I guess that's one of the the challenges that people of minority races face yep. is that not only are we subject to our own behavior, but we're also subject to the that's behavior right. of our collective that's race right. as well. That's so important, Akin. And again, I just want to highlight that the same phenomenon would happen for women in science. Yes, or first generation. It's this threat. It's a two-step process, and it's really important, I think, for listeners to kind of hear this really cleanly. (laughs) Step one is, I'm worried about how my group is being evaluated, and I'm one of them. Number two is that worry and anxiety decreases my ability to think, because I'm devoting too many resources, intellectual resources, to that worry, and not enough resources to, am I getting the question right? 
Yes. And that is the nature of the self-fulfilling prophecy. Yes. The very threat creates the outcome of the threat. Yes. And what they've done, which is just, you know, in a sense, beautiful, is they've thrown a circuit breaker in that process and cut that by saying, no, no, you're good. Look, there's these things about you that are valuable and that are unique and that you care about. And you're a good person. You cut that problem from happening. And then what you talked about, you call it the butterfly effect. They're calling it a recursive cycle. But the idea (laughs) is the same. It just means that if all of a sudden, and they actually show this in the one um, figure in the paper where they show this downward trajectory of the African-American students until they get the self-affirmation. And then it actually pops the grades higher in subsequent sessions. And what they've done then is they've said, here's this downward spiral that would have kept going downward. Instead, we make people feel better, and then they do better. And then doing better makes them feel better. And when they feel better, they do better. (laughs) And so then it creates um, a positive process that builds on itself. I think it's really powerful and interesting. And um, again, the idea that this is one study in the self-affirmation literature that actually has been extended and replicated across different domains of stereotype threat. Yes. I think that, again, gives more and more and more validity and academic credibility and scientific validity to how this process works and how you can use these psychological interventions to short-circuit them. Yeah. But, so we're at the 25-minute mark. Ooh, I, don't know how, I don't know how that felt ding, for ding, you. Ding. But like, A lot of dopamine. For myself, it flew by. And... Uh, I guess as we kind of like, you know, get into our, our landing positions as well, I, I one of the things I do really love as well that you mentioned at the end is this, I guess not even this idea, but just this reality that this is something that is now, is, is being applied to different groups as well. So it's not just within the realm of race, but as you mentioned, it's it's gender as well. And I'm sure if we, you know, if we sat down and brainstormed, we could think of so many different ways in which an individual can be kind of like grouped. And because of that group that they've been put in, feel a certain uh, negativity towards themselves or feel like their self-integrity is being challenged or feel under some degree of psychological threat. Thank you for saying that. And I think it's a really nice, uh, as you say, with the landing gear down and we're approaching the runway. I actually feel like one of the things that people in the majority don't understand, including myself a lot of times, is this notion of headwinds and tailwinds. Okay. So the headwinds, picture riding a bicycle and there's just like wind at your face and you really can feel it and you know that it's holding you back and it's sort of, you know, you're almost angry that this is in your face. It's very noticeable and salient to you. Yes. But then think about tailwinds when that same amount of wind is just at your back. Yeah. It's gently helping you with each cycle. You don't stop and think like, aren't I a lucky guy? <laughs> and in society, that's how it often works. People like, you know, tall white men, especially in the United States, you forget you have these enormous tailwinds that help you at every stop. They help you get into schools. They help you do well in schools. And it's just gentle support and expectations that you're going to do well. You belong here. For many other groups, there's a headwind there. My people... um, My family didn't go to college. Now I'm here for the first time. So I'm representing people that don't go to college. That's a headwind. 
my gender, people don't think we do well at science and math. Guess what? I'm in an engineering class. That's a face. That's I'm, I'm, That headwind is pushing in my face. And if you don't know that that's there, you don't believe in it because it's invisible. Yes. But when you are the group, it is clearly there and it's affecting all of your decisions. Oh, it's because... Oh wow! I mean, we should. <laughs> it just feels like we could double the time on this one as well, because especially when you talk about headwinds as well. And I'm, I'm, I'm hoping that I can put this in a succinct way, which kind of helps people to have a fuller picture of how difficult it or how challenging it can be being a minority as well. One of the headwinds, which is probably lesser known, is there's so much conforming that an individual has to do if they're part of the minority, so much conforming. And I guess what I mean by that is if you're in an environment in which the majority of people are very similar to you in terms of how Mm -hmm. they look, Mm -hmm. in terms of their upbringing, in terms of like, you know, the neighborhoods, like so many different things, like your brain is not, like when you mentioned earlier about, you know, what we dedicate our, our mental resources to, none of that is there. Whereas for an individual from a minority, if I was to, like during my school days, like if I was to go to a friend's party and I turned up in maybe traditional Nigerian attire that I possibly felt comfortable with, you know, represented me, like there's a challenge there. There's a challenge there, which means I can't just be in that environment and just be. There's something there that needs to be addressed that needs to be like, I I guess, kind of like catered to. Socialized and worked in. It has to be negotiated. Yes. And there's so much, there's so much negotiating that goes on. And that's energy depleting. Yes. Rather than just having fun and being and sort of using your best resources, you're instead scrambling around trying to negotiate and, and using the energy that way. Anyway, thanks so much for chatting me with about this. I, I really enjoyed the conversation. Same. That much, much, much enjoyed. Uh, <laughs> I mean, there was an element of fun packing. Yeah. It was, uh, but even, even as soon as I started reading this, I was a yes. bit like, Dan and I love to have a good laugh. I feel like, you know, this one's going to be uh, uh, slightly, yes. slightly heavier. Yes. Ahead of the time.